Hey, what's up, everybody? Another week of the Live Life Aggressively podcast with yours truly, Sincere Hogan, my man, Mike Marler, and got my buddy in the house. I mean, talking old school right here. We've known each other for a long time. Got comedian Ali Sadiq in the house. What's up, man? Nothing much, man. Having a great life. That's right, man. Hey, man, you've been pretty busy lately. You've been on the road doing your thing with Bill Bellamy, D-Lay and those guys, and for people that don't know who you are, which I don't understand why at this point. Um, one thing about Ali, he's been putting in work for a while now. Been doing his thing ever since like Def Comedy Jam, BET's One Mic Stand. He's worked with Cedric the Entertainer, D.L. Hughley. So yeah, he's worked with a couple of the kings of comedy right there. For me, this is just like a regular everyday thing for us. I mean, we've known each other since college, yes, <laughs> sitting in front of the girls' dorm trying to mack on every girl that walked by. I did. You know, I, I was dating a rapper back then, um, Simply E. <laughs> yeah, buddy. It's crazy, man. Just think about all the times we were sitting in front of the dorms. And, uh, yeah, pretty much just I, I guess at that point you were honing your skills in right then. Because let's be honest, you know, back then you got guys, they had their little – these little young dudes at the time, they had their, car, they had their little fly car. So they felt like, yeah, I can get a girl because here I am. I'm 19, 20 years old. I'm in college. I got a car. Or I have a job. <laughs> All these things. I got some money. So, yeah, the girls are going to want me. But let's just be honest. I don't care who you are. You can be butt ugly, broke, walking. If you are funny or you can sing, you have a better chance of getting a girl than any other guy out there. What do you I, think? I said, I said this because I, um, I did a, a show that um, called, it was called Funny is Sexy way before everybody started putting sexy on anything. It's maybe like maybe 10, 11 years ago, 12 years ago. And because I sat down and I thought, I'm like, man, in most women, in, in every woman's top five, and most women's top three, is going to be, I want a man who can make me laugh. Mm-hmm. So, you know, growing growing up, my eyes was bigger than my head. So, you know, I look like, I look like a, a old school Chevy. So it, it, it was, um, you know, I just, I just grew into my eyes about 36, 37, you know. Hey, come on, that, make, that makes both of us, man. That makes both of us. So, you know, I knew I was going to easily, because I had two skills back then, you know, that was that was the dominating skills. You know, I, you know, I knew you were going to come on and talk about me being funny and all that, but you forget my first true skill, my first true Damn passion. It. I was a dancer. That's right. You, you know? I was going to bring that up. I was going to bring that up. I'm talking about a real b-boy dancer, hip-hop, break down. I could do it all. I wasn't a male dancer. I don't want anybody to look at my frame <laughs> and think that I was male dancing in college. But <laughs> you all the way. All right. Yeah. You know, now it was just it was just Asics and Shea Butter back then. All I had to do. <laughs> <laughs> and so when you when you sit down and think, and that's one of the that's one of the things that you made mention of when you first started, why why most people don't know me. One is because I'm terrible at social networking. I am atrocious at social networking, so I would like to say that now that my (laughs) Instagram is Ali Sadiq. Do not spell my name with an A. My name is spelled S-I-D-D-I-Q because an A is, I don't know what type of, it's a family show, a family show. (laughs) This is a family show. That spells sad something else. You figure it out. You figure out like, um, I don't promote that. So, and, and my Twitter, my Twitter is Ali underscore speaks, and my Facebook and all the rest of that. I'm I'm atrocious at social networking. 
and the reason why is because I'm one of the, I'm one of these comics that that tells stories, and I I, I have the I have this. This is a handicap that I have here. I have the the handicap that something that I say is has to make sense. So most people don't want to hear people who make sense because for some reason sense seems like it's boring. So that's why most people don't know me because I, I'm not a buffoon. So if I was a buffoon, every all oh, the, the the phone lines would be blowing up at this point. But um, if if you know me making fun of Syria. And and this doesn't, you know, pretty much resonate with everybody. So you know, I'm I'm just trying to hone my craft, home into my niche. Maybe I may have to do like a ghost face killer thing, do something buffoonery, and then give them the knowledge <laughs> under under, <laughs> under the thing. Remember, ghost face like man, this what this what blowing up is, man. I be, I could have been done this silly nonsense. Oh man, it worked for old dirty bastard, baby. I need to get what, do what he was doing. Let's be fair, out of Wu Tang, that's who pretty much stuck out the most. You had ODB yeah. with the buffoonery, and but he had skills, and then you had Method Man who had the skills, but he kind of had to branch off and do something else to stand out from Wu Tang Clan. And, or you can look at Public Enemy. We look at Chuck. Most yep. people think it's Public Enemy. They think about Flavor Flav. Well, at least yeah, Flavor Flav. Right after yep. our generation, because the new generation, they don't even know who. They didn't even realize that Flavor Flav was in a rap group. <laughs> Before that, he's like, man. wait a minute, you talking about the VH1 dude? Yeah, yeah. He gets, he gets he gets rap. reality TV so much. Yeah, you know, fighting the power. Believe. What is he talking about? <laughs> <laughs> I know. Just, just put a battery in your clock. That's all the power you need. Part of a political band. People would laugh if they hear that now. Yeah. But Flavor Flav, Public Enemy, back at that time period. I mean, they, yeah, they were before. They was they they were performing nine one not but even even with today's rap and I'm not downing them I'm not downing them at all it's a it's a well, I, 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 think, will after you. <laughs> I think that the the thing that our generation understood that this wasn't reality this was right. this was this wasn't a reality and nor am I trying to create this as a reality because. Back in the day, I'm I was way more gangster than anybody out here that's talking about their gangster now. Not, I was in the forefront of gangster. People don't realize I got arrested from college. Yeah, to my, to my, know, I, I, yeah, exactly. Now here's the thing: he's not making it up because I know this for sure on a personal note. I know that's true, and I've seen the the turnaround that you've done with your life, and you didn't use the circumstances as a crutch. It's funny you hear a lot of people now, even in the in the entertainment industry, using all the circumstances that were not the most optimal, using those as a crutch. Well, I'm here because of this. I'm here because of this. Even if they are becoming successful and have changed their career around, they still go back to, yeah, because I was dealing and got me here, and I was doing this. This is how I got here. They won't let that story go. They, they won't move on. Well, you have someone like yourself. Well, again, most people don't even know anything about that as far as your history. It's not like, okay, this dude is a funny comic. I love his shows. Same thing with Jay-Z. Okay, he doesn't sit there and use selling drugs and Marcy Projects as his, his calling card every time he opens his mouth. Okay, we know that, and he moves on, and he's become successful with that. But we, we know some dudes, and we know some folks out there that came up right around the time we were, you know, when we were young and when we all met each other. They are still holding on to that life and acting like that is the only way that they can make it. <laughs> it, is a, it is a travesty that when you, have, when you home a skill set that – such as such as me as a comic and a well, not even really a comic a social commentary social I do basically social commentary in the oldest ancient form of media that there is is telling the story 
Right. So I'm reporting what I see and giving you my take on it. That's not the news, and that's not it's what you actually think in your mind, and or that your uncle said, or that mm-hmm. you don't realize that is a valid point. But I don't need to fall down on the ground in order to be funny, and nor do I need to. I don't want you to like me because oh he did six years in prison for selling drugs, or he did you know this, or he had this type of case, or he this type of hood dude, or he carried this type of weapon, or that because that's 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 foolishness because I'm under the code of realistically real bad boys move in silence. Right. You don't have to know what I do or what I'm capable of or any of that. But I, cause I'm not looking for no trouble, but what I am looking for is people to expand their minds and look towards if somebody has never been to a comedy show, let, let, me, be, let me be the first person you ever come see. And then you can then you don't even have to compare. You have to understand that everything is turned to such a competition that people only want to go see one type of thing because it's in. I remember right. when comics couldn't eat at one point because the Kings of Comedy came out, and nobody wanted to see anything but the King. Mm-hmm. But but before that, people used to go see comedians because you didn't know who was going to be funny. Right. You just went. You just went because you was going as a as an outing, and you're not comparing the first comic to the second comic or whatever. Because we yeah. we all different types of comic. That's like that's like when you heard the thing, and Mike, and you and you can you can ask you know answer this if if I'm incorrect. When you ever heard the song, you ever heard the song called the scenario? It sounds familiar. I don't know if I have the yeah, tribe called Quest. It's Tribe Called Quest. It's a lot of different people on this song, mm-hmm. and it's called The Scenario. And then you have another song with Big Daddy Kane and Cool G Rap and all them. What was the name of that song, Sincere? The Symphony, baby. The Symphony. <laughs> yes, sir. So now, when you listen to The Symphony, when you listen to The Symphony for the first time, or you hear The Scenario for the first time, or you hear Self-Destruction for the first time, or oh, you hear... the same game. Or you hear we all in the same game. Right. Now, one time that you listen to that music and say, oh, such and such killed it. You just listen to the song. The song, the whole song was good. Right. And every and everybody was on it that was dope. But mm-hmm. now you listen to a song with everybody on it. The first thing somebody want to do is compare, well, Wayne said, Wayne killed it. Or T.I. Uh, <laughs> killed it. Or, 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 or yeah, Kanye Kanye Lamar killed it. killed it and he just murdered everybody on the track. He just went on so-and-so yeah. song and... And just did so much better than everybody else. But you never see, you, you know what's funny? You never really see that in the world of rock. You never see that in the rock world of country music. You don't sit there and see somebody go, man, Luke Bryan killed Blake Shelton on this song, man. Did you hear Shania play? Did you hear Shania play? Garth Brooks had nothing for Shania play. would, man. Like, oh, man, man, Taylor Swift's career is over, man. They just killed it. It's her. over. What's she going to sing at now? What's she going to sing at now? <laughs> Are you serious? <laughs> so, yeah, I'll tell you what. Hop on YouTube if you don't know what we're talking about and just pull up the scenario by A Tribe Called Quest. Um, it's featuring Buster Rhymes, Kid Hood, and other members of Leaders of the New School. Or pull up the symphony by just put – Symphony Marley Mall. And, and oh, just, man. And just listen. You don't even care who's talking. You're just like, wow, look at this. First of all, for those of you who probably just now kind of getting into hip-hop and you think this madness 
is actually good. Hip hop. Oh wow. Oh yeah, no, I, I I use that term loosely. Okay, that's that's the culture. Excuse me. Are you listen to rap right now? You think that's good? <laughs> Go back and listen to these songs, and it's like, okay, wow, these dudes are having a good time, and wow, he didn't spend the entire four minutes of the song telling me about how many cars he has and how many girls he has and how much now. gold he has and how much money he has and how many vacations he's taken. <laughs> so is that just a substance there? <laughs> I want you to come over to different terms because. We actually come from the era of rap. And then our generation created hip-hop with the clothes and the painting and the dancing and everything because we come from the rap. Because I still say to this day, Mm -hmm. and and I put it up against any song out there in this entire world, the most jamminous rap song of all times is still the message. It's still the message. And you know what's what's so cool about the message by... Let me tell you, man. Let me tell you about this. What makes the message so cool? It is a song that is what pretty much thirty years old now, and yeah. it's crossed every genre. You can put the message down anywhere, in any club, in any country, in any city. People are gonna know it. They may not know all the words to it, but nine times out of ten, they probably do know all the words to it. And so it's Grandmaster Flash. And when you hear the message, everyone knows that song. It's crossed every boundary. It's, it's done in hip-hop what Michael Jackson's done, just with everything. It's like <laughs> There's the really no one out there that does not recognize it. Yeah, it's probably been sampled more than anything else. Oh, exactly. Well, I mean, it, you know, it's going to be funny. You're gonna hear, there's going to be some generations where you put the message down. I'm like, oh, they took that from Ice Cube. <laughs> so then, then it's when you got to kind of like do the schooling session right there. Like, no, 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 you got it backwards. Man. Uh, Ice Cube was all of like 12 years old when that song came out. <laughs> and you know what's crazy? You know what's crazy? When they when they talk about the greatest rappers, this is how this is how people are insane with this competition thing. I made a comparison because I used to write this article called The Argument of the Day. Mm-hmm. And the argument of the day is whatever you think, I will argue my point against your point. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like I, I, my first article ever was, who is the greatest player of all time? And I say, most people are going to say Michael Jordan. And right. I say, well, this, do you have to be number one? Don't you have to be number one in something to be the, considered the greatest player of all time? You have to, have to be the number one in something. Mm-hmm. And they and they like, yeah, we agree with that. Well, he doesn't have the most championships. That's, yeah. oh, that's Bill Russell. Bill he Russell. Did, he, didn't, he yeah. didn't score the most points. That's Will Chamberlain. He didn't score the most points in the NBA. That's Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Right. Most of his move, most of his moves came from Dr. J. So he watched somebody in order to get his moves. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then it's counter thing. Was he the best shooter in the NBA? No, by no means. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Was he the best defensive player of all time? No, that's Michael Cooper for the Lakers. Could he play the most positions? No, that's Magic Johnson. You know what I'm saying? Did he win? Did he win the championship his first year in the league? At 19 years old, no, that's Magic Johnson. So how do you become the number one player in something if you not if you not ranked number one? You he was the number one in marketing. Marketing, there you go. It's like he's the number one branded player. <laughs> he's the number one branded player. But see, as a comedian, as a comedian that thinks and breaks things down, when I say it to people, you know, in a in a humorous way, that's not slapstick enough for them. So if people take time to look at a, 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 um, a comedian and you put me in, in, the, in the correct genre that I should be in, because you don't, you don't compare Ron DNC 
and and Miles Davis together. They not they in two different genres of music, even though they do music. Right. I am I am a I'm like with Chappelle, D.L. Hughley, Paul Mooney, Dick Gregory, Paul Mooney, Phyllis Diller, um, Rodney Dangerfield, Lenny right. Bruce. You know, I'm with I'm I'm with those. I'm in that genre. Bill Cosby. Mm-hmm. I'm in that genre. Um, Richard Pryor. Yep. Because he was a social commentary. He 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 talked about what was going on in life and how it compared. It made. I'm I'm in that lane. Right. So you can't compare me to the greats of slapstick, such as Mike Epps and um, some of the other guys in that job. Um, Arnez J. If that's the type Cat of comedy Williams. that you, yeah. you know, Cat Williams. If that's the type of comedy that you like, then I'm not the comic for you. But if you listen to me, but if you listen to me, because I'm for the streets. I'm for the streets. And I, but both people can come to my show, the doctor the doctor and the thug. Right. They can be both <laughs> of the show because I'm from both worlds. You know, I have I have three albums now on iTunes, Talking Loud, Saying Something, Freedom of Speech, and um, Enjoy Your Life. And you can right. listen to Freedom. You can listen to Freedom of um, Talking Loud, Saying Something on Pandora. You know, or foxhole. You know, so man, I, I'm I'm out here trying to socially put things on people's minds and let them know the things that's in the in in the neighborhood that they're lacking. Right. You know, how how can you be satisfied with a school system that we number fifteenth in the world? You know, that we number twenty three and twenty five in math and science. Right. But see, you can't put all that on the teacher because if you take if you take that child to school and that child is five years old and he don't know his ABCs by now, what have you been doing as a parent? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Why did you, you wait know? five years for that to happen? <laughs> I said you didn't even let him watch Sesame Street. I was just about to say, hold on, I, was about to say, hold on, I got a secret for him. This is thing called Sesame Street. <laughs> Like, why did you just vote for Romney? Just vote for Romney if you ain't want to watch Sesame Street. <laughs> they just imagine that. You have a child that's five years old that can't really speak well and doesn't know his ABCs, his name, his, his people's name or nothing. This, the parent has to be, you should be charged. Somebody should have to take you to, somebody should have to file charges against you for negligence. <laughs> <laughs> I should be able to sue you as a teacher. I should be able to sue you as a as a first grade teacher. I should be able, you know something, Miss. I'm t- I, you know I had in my class I had 22 students and I have 17 cases that I'm <laughs> that I that I have filed in the first week. <laughs> yeah, I think teachers should start doing that. It's like, really? You, did you really just drop the child off to me like this? Like this? It's almost like it's almost like when you give birth and you just leave a child at the dumpster and just hope somebody picks them up and takes care Man. of them. It's no you different. Get charged, than... <laughs> you get charged for that when they have a safe zone. They have, go take it to the fire station. They have a safe zone. So if you don't want to educate this child, hey, man, let's find somebody that do. Don't bring this baby to me at five years old talking cr- can't talk. Not even talking crazy. Can't talk. <laughs> Just one big murmur, and, and seriously, like, you still, yeah. they don't know one plus one, and first of all, better yet, they still need the teacher to take them to the bathroom, take them to the restroom, because they can't use the restroom on their own. And it's, you know, Man. people are thinking, like, no, it's not that serious. Yeah, it, it's happening, people. It's happening. This is going on right now, because it's just funny. We were just having this discussion with a friend of mine the other day. At this point, what's so crazy about our, our education system, for the most part, 
it's about putting asses in seats because that's, that's how the that's school makes prison. money. So it's just like put a butt in a seat, make some money. You don't care what you teach that, that behind that's sitting in the chair. It's like fill the chairs up, keep them in there for those eight, nine months, and then get them out of the way so a new pair of butt cheeks can be in that seat so we can make some more money. And it's sad. It's come down to this. And a lot of times people are kind of looking at the teachers like, you're not teaching my child. These teachers are overwhelmed. And I was looking at stats the other day, like in Finland, there are like 12 students per 12, I think 12 to 15 students per teacher in the classrooms over there. And they have like one of the highest ranked education systems. Whereas they, they here in America two. on average, which two. I think is kind of flawed, the average is like 24 students per one teacher. Come on, dude, you and I, our daughters went to elementary school together. They went to a pretty good elementary school at their elementary school. 24 to 1 was the average there, and that's a well-to-do magnet school. Can you imagine for schools that are not magnet schools, that are not these exemplary schools or whatever, it's about 30 to 35 kids per one teacher. Why else do you think your child's having a hard time learning? So well, I think you- that's why we're seeing more and more homeschooling taking that. That's becoming exactly. much more popular for quite a few people because a lot of parents are disgusted with the education system, but instead of just complaining about it, they're taking charge of it. Right. And, and, not, and this is not an option for every parent, but I've seen quite a few parents do this, and it's, I, can't see, I can't speak for every homeschool kid, of course, but quite a few of the ones that I've met are way ahead of their peers in oh. the education system. And then what, usually what happens is they'll be homeschooled until, let's say, eighth grade or so, and then they'll go to a regular high school, and they're usually way ahead of their peers. Yep. So I think there's definitely pros and cons. There's definitely pros and cons to homeschooling as well. So I'm not mm-hmm. saying that every parent should do that, mm-hmm. but it's it's an option that I think more and more parents are gravitating towards because of the reasons my, you guys are discussing. My sister has six kids, her and her husband, and she is homeschooled all six. The oldest is seven, sixteen at this point. Uh-huh. The oldest is sixteen, and she says I have homeschooled in seven different states. And people, I've fought the same battle, same argument every time. People try to talk about the downfalls of um, homeschooling. And when they talk to me about downfalls of homeschooling, it's all it's all these myths, like they're not going to be socially this or socially that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and, she, and she says, so you telling me that within my family, my my children, just because they're homeschooled doesn't mean they doesn't they don't see the rest of the world. You don't think they're going to come in contact with other people just because I'm not allowing them to be influenced by 22 to 27 different type of ideologies. Yeah, people you know, homeschooling. They think, they think the kids locked up in the basement. Exactly. Or <laughs> plowing the <laughs> Say, here's a book. Read it by tomorrow. Yeah, and say that it's it's ridiculous that that somebody's like told her like, and she said this is how I perceive it. She was like, how dare you take responsibility for your child's education and making sure they're safe and keeping them with you all the time? How dare you do that? (laughs) That's that's the (laughs) reason. So Honestly, you listen, I'm surprised we, more parents don't because to me it's like you're giving you're leaving way too much up to chance by just get off and saying hey you know what you guys and I want you to influence my kid and teach him or her how to think and let's hope you do a good job. <laughs> this is and then not and not only that okay so well now you you put these kids out there and now let's look at let's look at the danger. Every time somebody decides that they want to shoot something up, they go into an elementary school right. or. Uh, some high school, 
Mm-hmm. Like, and then you got all these wild different things, all the molestations like that's happening in school. Yeah. And all right. these different the things. The bullying and, and all this. And it's in Finland, it's not just the number of kids, it's the training of the teachers. Yes, the teacher, exactly. see, when you don't, when you have to, when you have to go to school as a teacher for seven years just to become a teacher, yes. then that, then we we have people who take teaching seriously and not waiting on my modeling career to blow up or my acting <laughs> career to blow up or my singing career to blow up, and then I'm out of here. Because exactly. you know when you, because now in 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 this city, you most happy hours are for the teachers. Yeah. And not saying that they don't have a, a reason to be there because when you have a five-year-old that don't know um, that that two comes after one, then, yeah, you're drinking. And, you, and not only do you have one, you have 17 of these mumbling, ridiculous children. And, and then and, people, and what happens with that? Now, since those children are having learning disabilities, which a lot of times is, they have a parent disabilities. It's not learning disabilities. They have a parent disabilities. So what's happening with that? What's the first thing that happens? The teacher feels like she can't do anything with them. They send them to the counselor or the, the school doctor. Well, they have a learning disability. They have ADHD. They're, just, they're too hyper, and they just, you know, we need to get them on drugs. Let's just let's help them out with that. Or they put them in special education. It's like, no, oh, wait, wait, wait. I think we're kind of rushing to do this right here. And we talked about this a couple of weeks ago with Dr. Shelley Lambert who's an expert on this, and we talked about this. And I think there's just this rush to judgment like that when basically these people are not taking the time, in most of these cases, just to really assess everything that's coming along with this child. It's not the child just having a learning disability. What's going on at home? What's going well, on with the family also, life? There's also, a, there's, a, oh, there's also a certain style of teaching that is prolific in most schools, right. and there's going to be a kid who responds to that style and does well. There's going to be another kid who's, who may be smart but doesn't respond to that teaching style, and it's just going to mm-hmm. fall through the wayside. So, like, in Freakonomics, they talk about how some school systems are trying to implement a variety of different teaching styles, such as classroom style, and then another kid may be at home working with the computer more or a combination of the two because there's, there's, there's different learning pathways for each person. So, right. I mean, if, if you're a certain – if you don't respond to that style, then – your brain just shuts off and you're not hearing anything. You just, you, just, you just become disinterested and fall right off the side. Right. And it doesn't mean they have a learning disorder. It's just, they just may be bored. You ever thought about that? Well, that was the case with me. I mean, I never, I never excelled as a student until I actually got into things I was interested in. Right. And when I got into college, all of a sudden, straight A's became common for me, not because that was the goal. I never cared about that, but because I was actually studying something I was very interested in. So that's the other thing, too, is you have a lot of kids, which we say are – these kids aren't that smart, yet they know the lyrics to hundreds of songs and can repeat oh, them like that. They, they, know, they know statistics to all of their favorite athletes, you name it. So, I mean, obviously there's some brain power going in there, but it's just being applied to things that are actually interesting. And even on a scarier note, it's like you have children who can barely walk, but they're already twerking. <laughs> I mean, you can't, you can't walk to the bathroom without falling down and having to crawl, but you can jump your behind up and you can twerk. And, and then your mom's like, there you go, baby. That's my baby. Oh, yeah, look at her dancing. Was, and, then you put it on, and then you put it on YouTube. I'm like, okay, first of all, call CPS right now. <laughs> the problem is this, this arrogance of this country. The country is so arrogant that it refuses to admit that some things should be changed and, and some other people's way of thinking should be implemented. Because if everybody, you, you can't teach everybody the same, the same way. And, and so if I, was a, if I was a kid and I knew all these backstories, like I can 
I can look up anybody's information. Why would I want to go to school when everybody who is successful didn't go to school? Why would I want to go? You know, and and how do you, as a role model, how do you go to a child and say, well, let's see, do not tattoo things in your face, all over your neck, all the way down to your arms. You will not be successful in this world. Do not smoke marijuana because you will not be successful in this world. Do not be illiterate because you will not be successful in this world. Do not drop out of school. Okay, well, Snoop Dogg just got signed for $6 million, sir. <laughs> Lil Wayne is one of the most phenomenal earning artists in there. So, sir, you, 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 sir, your industry, sir, gave Trinidad James um, $2 million for gold all of our such and such and such and such. You know, that, that's what you did. So if you don't think that I have access to an iPhone and a computer and I can make the same thing and make me some money, man, forget school. The dude, <laughs> yeah, especially like, when you said all those things. Like when you tell me don't do these things because you're not going to be successful, but daddy's got to work. So here, you just watch TV, and I'll be back later on. Or, you know, here's your, here's your computer. Well, you're giving me access to everything that is a paradox to everything you just said. So you're, you're sending me mixed messages. And again, they're seeing all these things, but then the parent now is absentee because they're they're working or they're on their they're working on their business or they're focused in their own little world because they're going to let TV and school raise the kids. So my thing is, if I'm a child, like, well, my parents not even around, so you got that longing, and for someone have that adult figure to look up to. Well, if you're MIA as a parent now, this is not necessarily going out to those parents who have to like bust their behinds and work two or three jobs to make ends meet. Okay, so, I mean, they're doing the best that they can, what they can. But there are quite a few out there, so-called, even more privileged people out there, that pretty much they are doing the same exact thing where they're just kind of leaving the child to raise themselves. And a lot of times you kind of see in these, these situations where there are shootings and crimes and all these other different things, a lot of times the ones that are not being reported or every, these special cases every now and then, these kids, they're not – in, on the poverty level, they're not in the projects. They're not, they're not poor. And you have people sitting there like, I can't believe this happened in our own neighborhood. I can't believe that he was like this. He was a model student. Well, guess what? He's a child that was longing for some type of adult supervision. They, they wanted attention. They wanted to be acknowledged. In the, the day, they're human beings, and every one of us wants to be acknowledged and, and wants to feel like, hey, I matter. And so and what happens when they don't feel that way, they do whatever they can get your attention okay whether they're shooting up a bunch of people in the neighborhoods of you know in the hood in chicago or they're going up and they're shooting up an elementary school at the end of the day it's just like what's really going on at the base of where this child is coming from and people are being distracted because they they get they get focused on the wrong thing even even when when people when political people speak on these issues when when any mass shooting happens you know, the first thing they start hollering about is gun control. What kind control. of gun did he have? You know, and they talk about gun control and the amount of ammo that if you wanna if you wanna control guns, then you need to control people. Because people, because I've never seen a thirty-eight chasing anybody down the street by itself. <laughs> it never happened. Only in a cartoon. <laughs> you know. You know, and the thing is, 
Michael wasn't a violent place before guns either. That's what people kind of forget. They go oh, back in this time period. You know, human the, the history of humanity has always been extremely violent. Exactly. And long so before I, guns were ever invented, I mean, study the Crusades or anything like that. You know, vicious. Or even if you are, if level. you are, even if you are coming from a judo Christian background. Hello, let's talk about Cain and Abel. Okay. <laughs> okay. So my hey, man. The first chapter of the Bible starts out pretty violent there, people. <laughs> so we humans have been violent for a long freaking time. At the end of the day, at the base of who we are, we're all animals. Okay? We're animals. We're just a higher form of intelligence when it comes to animals in most cases. Right. A lot of times when you hear left gun crime in other countries, such as the UK, yeah. There's way more crime on another level, such as knife stabbings, or you're being crushed, your, your brain's bashed in with a baseball bat. Because I, I've been over there many times. It's a, it's a pretty – there's a lot of tempers in the UK. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Now, I've seen people scream at people for crossing the street when they're trying to make a turn, like they're about to kill them. Like so the, the tempers yeah. out there can be immense. So it's not like there's any less violence over there than over here or anywhere else. People are people. There's so many different factors that Absolutely. play into that. Yeah. You yeah. know, there's so like I always tell people, there there are no absolutes. The only absolutes is there there are no absolutes. That's about it. So if, whether it comes to your diet, stress, any of that, even yeah. just coming from where you know Mike's profession and just hormone optimization, everybody thinks it's just one thing. Well, as long as I keep my testosterone up, I'll be good, right, Mike? And it's like, dude, there are other factors working here. It's not just like the only hormone you have is testosterone. It's like a business or anything, right? It's never just yeah. one thing that makes your business work or one thing that makes your workout regimen work or one thing that makes a comedy show work, right? It's many factors put together. Right. It's many, it's many factors, especially in a comedy show. People, big shout-out to all the wait staff in a comedy room and all the right. management and the ticket people and – Anybody who knows the people who's seating and everything, all that matters, man, in, right. in you having a good show, even, even in the theater. Mm-hmm. So I always try to acknowledge the people who are making the show pleasant for me to walk out to. Right. And the sound, the sound man and everything. Oh, yeah, especially the sound man, you know, just coming from entertainment. <laughs> you know, that dude catches hell all the time. With, <laughs> with this country and in the U.K., like I've done a lot of shows in London and Holland and you know all over the place and those are things that you know I like to talk about on the stage in the United States I I don't think that people understand you know a lot of these different concepts are way better you know in the United States you get vacation what um one or two weeks if that man and and then you call then you call a five-day break a holiday. No, in the UK, <laughs> holiday is when you go on there. You you off for a month, month and a half. Right. You're like, yo, I'm on I'm on holiday. I'm going, and you get paid. See, yeah. And see, so the 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 level of violence may not be it may not be crime, it may not be rapes or anything like that. But they 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 let you fight though. You know, they don't. I don't think people in America understand real. You know. Enthusiasm for your team. I've been to soccer games where oh man, one, oh, yeah. you can't even yeah. you can't even be on. They don't intermingle in <laughs> soccer games. It's like your team is on one side, my team's on the other side. And if I catch you in the street as a fan, I'm gonna beat you up. <laughs> and you know what's gonna happen? They're gonna put me in a paddy wagon. They're gonna put you in a paddy wagon. We gonna miss the game, and they're gonna let us out at the end of the game. Cause they ain't nothing to fight about no more. But I don't I don't mess with you. you know? <laughs> like, 
<laughs> you know, and and it's a lot more fist fighting. If we went back to fist fighting, it'd be a lot less violent. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I don't totally see, I don't agree. see, I don't see nobody being able to to go into an elementary school and punch everybody to death. I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. I don't think. I think you may get one or two kids, and depending on the school that you go into, I know some tough little first graders. Yeah. You know, all the kids yeah. doing MMA now. Someone's gonna do a double leg takedown. <laughs> yeah. You walk in there and after the first punch is thrown, you're gonna you're gonna have three kids. One's gonna armbar you, the other's gonna take both of your legs from your feet. Others yeah, gonna not punch you in the face. You're done. Because <laughs> look, because little Travis been trained to bite. <laughs> little Travis been trained to bite. Yeah. <laughs> he's been. Come on, he's been wrestling since he was three. Okay. <laughs> yeah, he ready to wrestle. Yeah, you, that's what, only wrestling your 34 year old behind knows about is Hulk Hogan. So that's yeah. that's a problem. The thing right is, there. I'm gonna have to. They gonna have to call the police to come rescue you from their class. He's like. They keep flipping me. I can't get out of here. <laughs> oh man! Yeah, yeah. Like that's said, you know, getting punched in the face is a game changer. I don't care who you are. So I told yeah, you, people just went back to that. Yeah, we really calm a lot of people down. Just get punched in the face one time. If you say something really stupid and disrespectful, and that person just pops you in the face, and you're like, whoa. It'll make you think yeah, twice man. next time. Yeah, you might actually defend yourself, and you might take, you might end up winning the fight then. But it will make you think twice the next time you want to be the jackass talking a lot of smack for no reason at all. Man. Because you will remember that punch you, to the face. Let let Floyd Mayweather punch you in your face until you don't say nothing else about him. You probably not gonna say nothing else about him. <laughs> and, and just think, just it's a you. lot of people. There's a lot of people out there that punch just as hard as Floyd Mayweather. They just don't box. <laughs> they not professional fighters. They just like, hey man, say something else about me and see what happens. Right. Like I got, I got like people play silly games with each other. None of my friends have ever snuck up on me and tried to scare me. Why? <laughs> because one friend did that one time and I broke his nose. <laughs> Who are you to be jumping out trying to scare somebody? <laughs> and all I did was I two pieced him right and left real quick. I'm like, what are you? doing that's not my fault you got that's on you i'm not helping you pay none of your bills either because that's on you, you yeah, that reminds me of that one youtube clip where the guys were like um the friends were like in high school and you know you had the one friend that was hiding in the trash can and then the other buddy was kind of standing there talking and the dude jumps out of the trash can to scare him and the dude just turns around and pop 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 and just like busts him in the face and then he's kind of looking like dude look what you made me do and the dude's nose is broken and bleeding he's like i'm like, like yo man don't do that Look how you got me living, man. I ain't want to do that to you. <laughs> and plus, they were in a high school. I mean, come on. These kids are already stressed enough. Really? You want to jump out and attack somebody in a high school right now? No. Not a, not smart. Not smart at all. Well, it's like that joke that you have about uh, only women can get kidnapped in the middle of the day because any guy, someone grabs your arm like, hey, what the fuck are you doing? Get the fuck off me. While uh, <laughs> yeah. like, someone grabs a woman and she's like, it's like, okay, get in the car. Okay, where are we going? Where are we going? Like, man, how are you letting somebody kidnap you? <laughs> you you put up you put up a way a way bigger fight if I come in the house late and you but you let somebody take you off. You know me. Do all that. Do all that that you be trying to do to me. Do all that. <laughs> 
crazy. It was um oh it's so funny um I I actually posted on um uh, my Facebook wall today that you were coming on the show. What questions do you want me to shoot to Ali? And our buddy, our friend Prince Bell, basically what Prince said is that uh he wants to know if he can sue you for the asthma attack that you gave him when he watched the clip about comp- the confidence test. <laughs> so when you're talking about women and their spanks and you yeah. know, and, and you talking about how women women don't understand like they're different than men because. Just like someone, if a woman feels like she's ugly, she's not going to try to walk up to some random guy and try to, like, ask him out. Not Whereas no. men, we're just, we don't care. We're like, and Mike and I yeah. talked about this on previous shows. We have, we do not care about anything. You can't tell a man he's fat. You can't tell a man he's out of shape. Somewhere there's a guy in the back of his mind like, Shh, somebody wants this. <laughs> how, do you, how do you see, how do you think that when you see some gorgeous chick and she be with some dude and you can't believe it, you know why you can't believe it? Because you can't believe how you don't even know how they hooked up. It was exactly. him. She didn't seek him out. It was him. He pursued her, and he, he had and nothing he, to lose. <laughs> and he wore look. I'm I'm look. I'm broke. I'm fat. I don't look good. I'm dirty. <laughs> but I like you though. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and guess what? He and he probably said some things that made her feel good about herself. That's where she wins. But you. You're the dude that looks good. You're all fit. You got the nice car and all that. But you spend more time in the mirror than the girl does. That's not making her <laughs> feel good. Okay, so sure. guess what? Guess what? Shopper ranks is going to win every time. Okay? Well, I mean, guys are also willing to go through a lot more rejection, right? I mean, you, get, you can go talk to 20 women a day and get rejected by 19. No problem. You got that one. Yeah, I got well, one. Women, women don't do well with rejection anywhere near as much as men. That's why a lot of women in sales, I've worked with a lot of women in sales, and usually their first day in the job, they get several no's in, the ro- in a row. They're ready to cry. You know? And, and uh, most guys go through that. It's like, okay, well, we're, we're used to rejection in a lot of different contexts. So yeah, no it, started, <laughs> it started since childhood with us ladies. So we have the advantage <laughs> over you. Like, we've been getting rejected for a long time. When we were brave enough to try to kiss you in preschool, and you and end up kicking us between the legs and pushing us down. Yeah, okay. Rubber neck me. <laughs> we got back up. We were like, hey, that's okay. Come on. She only kicked me, kick me through my legs because she likes me. <laughs> see, started, those were love taps, okay? See, see, we've been doing this for a long time. <laughs> it's the thing with it's the thing with men. We we just have a different perspective on things, and I know you know that's why women are always trying to get us to see. Oh, we want you to connect with your female side. I don't have no female side. I just have I'm a man. I don't have female side. It's just like no man, no man in the history of men has ever told a woman, "Well, I just need you to connect with your male side." Tell them right, right. <laughs> like, you know, like, I would on, feel I would feel crazy saying that. I want you to burp and fart more. You're just not doing that often. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Careful, careful what you wish for. You don't scratch your crotch often enough, right? It's yeah. Yeah. It's like going back to something else that you said. Going back to something else that you said earlier in the show is hilarious because you said you just brought it up, said that you asked people to send in questions. This is another reason why I'm not bigger is because I don't see myself like that. You know, I don't see myself as, you know, this superstar. I'm like kind of like like when you said somebody even typed in a question to ask me. I was like, wow, what would somebody <laughs> want to know about? What would somebody want to know about me that I don't really say on stage? Because I'm more like a recluse. I'm kind of to myself until I get ready to perform. People can see me in the neighborhood if they live in Houston. Mm-hmm. You can see me on our meter all the time. You know, and I'm just a regular Joe out there. You know, drinking a cup of water, talking to the fellas, 
You know, I, I'm not that, oh, the paparazzi's after me, and I, and I don't want to be that. I just want to be a, a good artist. Here's what people probably won't even understand. It's like for those that know of you and know of me, there was a point where we were just chaperones going to field, field trip events with our daughters. And, and guess what? Our daughters don't care who we are and what we've done. Not your daughter all. does not care about how many stages you've been on and you travel around the world. It's like your dad. My daughter, you know, because they were good friends in elementary school, they could care less. They could care less about me being fitness boy. And, and yeah, you wrote a chapter in the book. They don't care. They're just like, okay, dude, look. I need some money because I need to go to the mall. <laughs> can you? Can we make that happen? Oh, I need these school supplies paid for by a certain time. Daddy, can you make that happen? Not Ali, not sincere. They could care less. You need that humbling experience. People around you that keep you grounded. And I think what gets a lot of people in trouble, they start buying into the hype. Oh, well, now I'm, I'm a big time this. Like Mike and I talk about this all the time in, in our industry. You got people like, well, I've been in this fitness industry so long and I was around when this happened and I don't have to put in the work anymore because people just owe me because most of these people wouldn't be here hadn't been for the things that I did back in the day. Well, dude, here's the thing. Most people that are around today don't even know what you did back in the day because <laughs> right. when you did it back in the day, fitness was the last thing on their minds because they were just trying to go out on the, in the sandbox and not get kicked <laughs> in between the legs by the little girl they try to kiss behind the tree like we just talked about. <laughs> so they were dealing with their own rejection issues early in life, just like we were saying. So you're not entitled to anything just because you have these titles. They come and go. For every successful comedian, there's going to be a, there's a washed-up comedian. And, or there's a washed-up comedian waiting to take over. For every successful person in the fitness industry, it's going to be that fitness failure. It's going to be that person that's going to end up on that Where Are They Now show. It's, it's just like, it's like that. And when you are – it's, it's humbling just to be – in this craft for so long and doing and living my life according to what I actually want to do as a performer. So my success is really not based on somebody else's, you know, what they see for me. Right. You know, you know, I don't, I don't know a lot of comics with, with three good albums, not three fluff albums, three actually good albums. That's not dated, you know? Um, so it's just, it's just trying to, establish myself in this world. But I don't want to be forgotten. I don't want to be here and then people never know that I was here. Right. You know, that's that's one that's one of the things. But and then it's I don't want to be perceived as arrogant because even my with my confidence level is enough. People when you're confident, like like people root for Floyd Mayweather to lose. Even when when is when you can see that he's going to win. Right. You you won't acknowledge it. So it's going to be people that won't acknowledge how I serious I'm about my craft. And then it's like you can't you can't talk to me if you're a new person trying to do stand up. Man, I've been I've been here 16 years at this point. I've seen a lot, so I'm not enthusiastic about your comedy career like <laughs> you think I should be. And right. nor do I care about your comedy. Maybe I would have cared five years ago. On some level, maybe I would have cared ten years ago, but at sixteen years, I really don't care. Nor do I wish you luck in none of that, because you, I've done. You know why? Because I've done that before to watch people understand that being in this game and never make it past a summer. Right. Because the summer, the summer is when it get real, you know. And and then when you ask people why they want to do stand up, they really can't even give you an answer. I was actually born a stand up. This is what I actually am. This is not a, it's not, that's why I don't have acts and gimmicks and, you know, bells and whistles and signature taglines. I don't have any of that. I'm not right. branding myself as 
this person or that person. I'm I'm Ali Sadiq. I'm a I am a, a a phenomenal humorist. And if you come see me, it's it is what it is. Or you listen to one of my albums, it is what it is. And and I'm and I'm doing it all the time. I'm I'm writing material all the time because life is happening on a continuous basis. You know, Tracy Morgan told me one time that um because I'm, I'm gonna write a book of quotes, all the greatest quotes that I've ever received from different comics. Mm-hmm. And Tracy Morgan, me, mm-hmm. him, and this guy named John Gard, um, John Gard was, we all doing a show together, and Tracy asked John, he said, man, how many minutes do you have? And um, John Gard said, I have like 45 minutes, 45-minute show. And Tracy said, man, that's some BS, man. Yo, Ali, man, did you hear what he said? I said, yeah, I heard it, man, because I knew he was going with it. And mm-hmm. he said, yo, Ali, ask me how many how many minutes I got. He said, Tracy, how many minutes you got? Man, I got 24. 24 hours is what I got because it's 24 <laughs> hours of the day. He said, if you're funny, all you got to do is remember the funny day. But I don't want to do all that. I'm going to remember the 20 minutes of the day I like. <laughs> and I was like, that's the, and that's the thing. Right. Every day you have an opportunity to remember something funny and say it. Right. So in every every what thirty days, you should have a new joke. You know. Yeah. So then, how many hours do you have at that point? You got you got man. You can talk forever. Right. You know a lot about a lot. You can talk forever. I can be in a room with a bunch of people from Morocco, and and do a show. I know about Morocco. I know about Moroccan people. You know, it's not like I've never been there. So it's like, you know, you talk about the things you know. If I'm in London, I talk about London. If I'm over here, I talk about being in London because I miss it. You know? Right. <laughs> so, right. so, you know, I love being in Amsterdam. And I, I probably wasn't the only who had walked out in the entire red light district, the whole everything, <laughs> all the undergrounds, the cobblestone streets and all that. Hey, Mike, you were just there in that area. Mike, did you, can you join him in that conversation? <laughs> I've, I've been to Amsterdam many times. I wasn't there at this past trip. I was in Rotterdam. You were in Rotterdam this time. Oh, you was, you, was in Rutter, you was in Rotterdam. I've been to Rotterdam. Yeah. yeah, I really like it. It's, it's much different than Amsterdam, but it's, it's a it's really much nice different little city. Than Amsterdam. People are very right. friendly. People in Amsterdam are a little bit more curt, and it's, it's a different vibe. There. I like Amsterdam, too, but it's a different vibe there. Amsterdam, I go- spent many summers there growing up. So I have been there quite a, quite a few times. Did you go to um? Because you've been to you've been to Rotterdam, so you've probably been to Apple Dorm. You ever been no, to Apple Dorm? No, I haven't. No, I haven't. Yeah, man, I've been all I've been all over Holland, man, I, and I love Rotterdam. Love Rotterdam. That was that was a great place, man. How, how do people Holland. respond to your humor in Holland or UK versus the US? You know, I shot a I shot a actual matter of fact. I try to get that over to y'all so you can see for yourself. Um. Oh, cool. But it's mostly because I shot a, a DVD over there called it's called Live from Amsterdam. Really? Um, I actually remember that. Yeah. yeah. And so I, I I'm such a chameleon with my stand up that I just slowed the pace down, and then I uncovered I, I had to adjust certain things because of the circumstance. Like I I used to do this joke about I didn't understand about a deductible when you have a car when you have a car wreck because I had my truck. For five years, and I never had a wreck. Same insurance company. I've been paying one fifty for the you know the longest. So when I'm, I had an accident, they asked me, 
I did I need to pay a deductible. I said, why don't y'all deduct it from all the money I paid you prior to it? ain't never used it. And and so people 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 didn't get the joke when I first did it the first night. They didn't get it. So I asked the guy, I was like, yo, they're not getting this particular joke. Everything else they get, they're not getting that particular joke. He said, because over here when you – get into an accident, their insurance company just fix your car. They don't they don't ask you for if you pay insurance, they just fix you you fix your car. You know, like they don't have health insurance problems and right. things of that nature. Right, right. So it, it made me read more about I mean I was I was I've been overseas so much that I have now is events that come to my mind like, you know, quite like you Mike uh, um to right. say I don't know how much you've traveled over this country and I'm quite sure you have. It, it's like when you when you have like Lehman Brothers. When Lehman mm. Brothers shut down, I was actually in London when it actually mm. shut down. Mm. So I know what it was like being over there and twenty five thousand people get ready to go to work and they're locked out of the building with with no you know, and so when I read about it in the paper over here, I was like, Man, I was actually there there. Yeah. You know? Right. <laughs> like, right. you know, you know, I was in London when I hit here, I was in London still. Right. And you know, and it's like these events, like when they say something about South Korea and North Korea. I was actually in Korea, so I know how volatile this area really is. Right. You know, it, it's like, like I really rode past and be able to see missiles and barbed wire fences and all this spike stuff that they have in between the countries, yeah. you know, being right. all over. You know, so it's these, it's these events. And these are the things that you want to talk about on stage, but you have to try to find this, this, this audience that's willing to open their minds to even listening. Because I can paint the picture. I can paint the picture. I'm a wonderful um, artist when it comes to painting the picture so you can see where I'm at. You know, I, I want to tell you how my man, my man got a, a happy ending by a snag-a-tooth lady in Korea. <laughs> you know? I want to <laughs> you know? I want to tell you. I want to tell you why they really call Bangkok Bangkok. I to, <laughs> you know, I want to be able to, you know, to translate these <laughs> people putting themselves in positions to really know how tough you are. Because Mike, let's let's just be realistic, Mike. Being in being in Amsterdam, and in the in the middle of the night, people drunk coming from bars or wherever, and you coming down the alley and you see four four dudes coming and you're walking by yourself. Do you get off the alleyway or do you keep going? Because these are decisions that you have to make in Amsterdam. Because <laughs> it's going to happen. It's, it's going to happen. And it happened to me four or five times and I kept walking through them. Because in my mind I was thinking, I ain't turning back. Because we going to fight, we just going to fight. <laughs> so, so, and you have to make these decisions. And I, and I wrote, cause I, I went over that back to back and I wrote a um, a section of jokes that I still haven't performed yet because I haven't perfected them. And it was the whole thing is called a working pull because as a comic, I know how much the flight costs to get there. I know how much my, my hotels cost. And the only reason I was there because I was talented, that somebody was, somebody was paying to hear my point of view, and they wanted everybody, they wanted the 3,000 people that they wanted to put in the building and I was the only all English speaking comic. Everybody else spoke multiple languages, but the people understood English, and I was the headliner. So it just puts you in this mind frame of man, I I, I want to know more. I want to 
you know, I want to be able to translate this thing, this thing more. I'm up against whatever. Mm-hmm. Being overseas, man, is just a different vibe, and to see how how good you actually are when right. the odds are against you, right. you know. Right. So it's no, it's no audiences that I'm that I'm that I'm I'm scared of because I started doing stand up when I was in prison for a clo a dude a bunch of dudes that was in closed custody. So these are people who had nothing to laugh about. <laughs> Right. So if I could get people who had nothing to laugh about to listen to sense, then what's wrong with the people that's in the world? Right. That's not locked up. Why they don't want to listen to sense? Because sense is funny. Because it's truth. Yeah, you can relate. You're like, okay. And then like, like you said before, there's a lot of stuff that we've thought about and just didn't say. Some people are afraid to talk about. Or it's, it even goes back to what Bernie Mac used to say. He's like, I'm not scared of you, you know what? Because I'm just saying the stuff y'all are afraid to say. And that's usually what happens with a lot of comedians because they don't have to care, they don't care about the whole PC thing and being and worried about hurting someone's feelings. This is what's going on. This is my perspective on it, and I know I'm not alone, right? And that's when the audience is like they're right there with you. They'll they'll affirm it by laughing with you and laughing with your pain and at their pain at the same time. It's therapy, man. I mean, you see it all the time with so many comedians. It's therapy. And it's not just therapy for them, but it's therapy for the audience too because now there's an outlet just to like, oh, I'm glad I'm not the only one. I can see if people are being are people are being crude and saying inappropriate language, right. but why why can't you say, "Hey man, I don't blame R. Kelly for doing what he did with the little girl. I don't care because now because my problem is the parent didn't care. It, why is a fourteen year old girl out at four thirty in the morning getting beat on and ain't nobody asking no questions? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I'm like, hey, I'm like, hey, man. Your your baby out at four your baby fourteen years old out at four thirty in the morning. She having sex with a grown man. This ain't her first rodeo. This ain't <laughs> <laughs> old child. Oh, you know, man. if you're fourteen, you supposed to be out with somebody fifteen or something. You ain't supposed to go thirty four. You going you you going? What what person in Pop Warner think they can go to the Super Bowl? <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, yeah, on top of it, it's like why and why do you not know this fourteen year old is not in the house at four thirty in the morning? This, so this again, saying, ain't nobody concerned. Ain't nobody <laughs> concerned, but y'all would be concerned now. Hell no. You should have countersued. <laughs> you know the past. You the same person that didn't teach this baby. You know why the baby was out at fourteen? Because he didn't know her address. So dude, I know you got to break out, man. You got to go scoop your daughter up. Hey, man, we appreciate you stopping by. We definitely have to bring you back on the show again, man. Um, so before we leave, though, I'll let everybody know where they can find out more information about you and scoop up your albums, find you online as well. People, y'all can go on Twitter and find me at Ali underscore Speaks. You can find me on Facebook at Ali Sadiq. You can find me on Instagram at Ali Sadiq. Um, you, can, you can email me at moreallylive at gmail. Um, Go online, grab my album, download my album. They're on iTunes or anywhere else that you can download stuff. That's all I really got right now. That's all. That's all. Are you, you, are show, you, you go on are showtime. You are you touring right now? Or you yeah, so, yeah. Are you still touring with Bill Bellamy? And, um, yeah, I'm still on the road with Bill, but I have a show coming up um, on October 26th in Beaumont. Matter of fact, I'm doing a special, a special event show in Houston um, next Thursday, which is the 26th at the Houston Improv. I'll be there. And other than that, I have a couple other dates that we haven't locked down yet, but they coming. So y'all can find me everywhere, man. Just just keep looking for me, looking me up. I got an app coming out. My mobile website will be out pretty soon. It'll be Ali, AliSpeaks.com. Um, 
So y'all just keep looking for that and definitely get my album. They all on iTunes or anywhere that you can download. Hey, man, thanks a lot for coming by the show. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Have me back. It's not often I can come on the show and talk sense with with both people without somebody (laughs) trying to, you know, stifle stifle information. I was on one show, and this lady did the ultimate disrespect. We was talking about something, and she was like, I was talking about something I was going to wear. She was like, what, uh, uh, my phone? I was like, man, who are you talking to? <laughs> like, I said, man, I am a grown man with children. What are you, what are you, what, who are you, who are you talking to? Well, I, I just thought it would be funny. You're like, well, that's the difference between your thoughts and reality. <laughs> it's like, yeah. I say everybody don't play those type of games. You, you talk to men like men, and you talk to boys like boys. Oh, you know, I, I thought she could tell us because I had a beard. I was a man. <laughs> <laughs> the dude on Duck Dynasty, I've never seen somebody shut down Barbara Walters before. The man mm-hmm. on Duck Dynasty, the father, she's mm-hmm. like, well, why do y'all wear the beards? Um, did you grow them as a signature of this, that, and the third? And the man said with, with, with the utmost intelligence, because all of them went to college. He's like, ma'am, I wear a beard because it's only one, it's two people on this planet that can't grow a beard, children and women, and I, <laughs> and, and I am and I am neither. That's what the man I'm supposed to have a beard. And I was like, go ahead, sir. And Bob went, went to another question. And um, so how did y'all come up with the whistle, the, the duck whistle? I'm like, <laughs> Yeah, you didn't want to you didn't want to say that, did you? You didn't want that 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 real knowledge, Barbara. Bob was like, "Damn, okay, all right, all right, moving on." The duck call. Uh, yeah. <laughs> man, but I thank y'all very much, sir, for having me. Hey, anytime, Thanks man. Lot, Appreciate it. Take care. All right, thank y'all. Take Once care, bro. You. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. There's quite a few women that's been grow beards now. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if it's environmental factors or maybe their husbands testosterone creams rub it on there a little bit at night. Who knows what? But right, you know, I've, I've seen I've seen more than one woman with a beard out there, and I, I'm not talking about you know, oh, little me. peach fuzz. I'm talking about the real thing. <laughs> hey, man, the waxing industry is not big for for no reason at all. There, come on now. <laughs> Somebody, I, I've seen I've seen some ladies that need a little trimmy trim on that top lip, and they kind of like kind of outdid me, made me have to recheck my mustache. I'm like, wow. Is that, <laughs> like, isn't that funny when that happens? That you're talking to you're talking to a lady, whatever the context is. Maybe it's a business meeting, or you're at a restaurant, you know, whatever it is, just a stranger. And then and then you and then it hits you. You're like, whoa, she's got a mustache. You're like, and then you're like, man, she's got such. And you can't stop. Yeah, exactly. And you can't stop staring. You try to look at the eyes, and you like keep looking at that. They're like, nope, that really is a beard. Okay, let me look back up. Nope, let me take one more look. <laughs> I had a couple questions from just just general people. I figured I'd answer them on the show. Just people people that are listening to our show. Also, yeah. I, I talked in New York City this past weekend, and pretty yeah, much, how was that, man? That was great. Everyone who attended made a point of talking about how much they like the podcast. Just about everyone at one point or another said, oh, big fan of the podcast. You and Sincere are doing a great job. And that was cool, man. It was cool to to see the effects the show has had on people. And we've only been doing it for a few months. And also to see that a lot of people coming to the courses are really plugged in to all of our information, videos, right. supplements, podcasts, and they want it all. So that was pretty cool. And also got a bunch of questions from different people asking if we could – address it on the show. One is for people who travel a lot. 
there's businessmen or businesswomen that are constantly on the road. You know, what do you do to keep your nutrition locked in? What do you do to keep training locked in? Well, for me with training, usually when I'm traveling to go somewhere, it's to teach a seminar. So I don't worry about working out in between seminars. That is the workout for me. So my circumstance is going to be a little bit different. You know, when I fly to the U.K. and I'm teaching four courses over two weekends, I'm not doing push-ups and squats in the hotel room. Right. In shape. Because those workshops are brutal. You know, two six-hour workshops is like a whole month of working out in one day. So, you know, the best thing you can do in between those courses is get a massage, go to a steam room, relax, get some sleep in, et cetera. So my circumstances are different. Now, if I were someone that was just traveling traveling a lot, not teaching courses, I mean, really, you you do the best you can. If, If the hotel has a good gym, then you utilize that. If there isn't anything there, then you utilize your body weight. You can do sprints outside. You can run stairs. I've done that before. That's a great workout. You can do push-ups and squats in the room. A lot of the stuff on your video, Sincere, a lot of the stuff on your DVD for people that want more variety for body weight stuff. You can bring resistance bands with you, like what Lifeline USA, they have a, a device called a power push-up too to add resistance to push-ups. You can do bent over rows with it. There's a TNT cable. You can do overhead presses. You can attach it to a wall. You can do all kinds of pulling motions, core exercises. You right. can attach it to the bottom of the door, do some leg drills. So you get creative with stuff. But generally, I, I would keep it simple. My go-to training, if I'm on the, in the, on the road in the past and I'm not doing a lot of seminars, is I, I love sprinting. If I'm near a beach, I'm going to go sprinting, get that in, maybe do some, a variety of different push-ups for the upper body. Because right. so just, just, that just eats up a lot of anxiety, helps you get over jet lag. I do like to do some kind of cardio when I get to wherever I'm going. And this could be 30 minutes on an elliptical machine. If they don't have something like that at the hotel, maybe I'll go do some sprints outside somewhere. Because that really just helps me get locked in that time zone. I've always found that it just helps get rid of the cobwebs from a long flight. So those are some of the things I do for training. Diet-wise, for me, especially not eating any animal protein and following a vegan diet, I, I, I like to take charge of my nutrition as much as possible by bringing as much as possible. So I'll make trail mixes full of goji berries, nuts and seeds, things like that. I'll make these homemade protein bars. And people are always like, well, what do you do when you're, what, what do you eat at the airport? I go, I don't eat anything at the airport there. There's nothing <laughs> healthy at the airport. It's garbage. Every single thing there is garbage. You may find one or two options which are acceptable, but even, even a lot of the stuff on the plane, which you can order, I mean, just look at the nutrient breakdown, 80 right. grams of sugar for a salad. What is the salad that has 80 grams of sugar? Yeah, let's not even talk about the sodium. You know? Yeah, the dressing is all garbage, in, and the salad is just lettuce. It's not even deep greens or anything useful. So you have to take charge of that as much as possible when you get there. Honestly, if you're going to another country, do some research on what restaurants are around wherever right. you're staying before you get there. Kind of like you wouldn't go to another country and just book the hotel when you get on site or, or, or go around looking for a hotel. So you need to do the same thing with restaurants and then maybe look for what supermarkets are close by, things like that. That will save you a lot of hassle. Right. You can find pretty good options in just about everywhere you go if you're willing to do a little bit of research ahead of time. The worst is when you get out there and you're, and you're just ravenously hungry and then you're trying to find a good option. You're, that's a battle of attrition that you're going to give up very quickly. You're going to say, you right. know what, screw it. Let's just eat here tonight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I'm telling you, man, if, if, if irritable bowel syndrome and eating out on the road tend to, tend to go together head in head. So, you know, you, know, you want to you take charge of that and, and try to find clean options as much as possible because eating yeah. out at over-the-top restaurants 
for several days in a row, that's a recipe for disaster. Yeah. How about yourself? You travel yeah. quite a deal. I mean, just like you, for the majority of time that I am traveling, it's usually either to teach workshops or it's to go to a competition. So right. when it comes to training, I'm already going to get, I mean, when you're doing a kettlebell competition and now the way they have it set up, I know for the IKFF, it's going to be over two days. So I know for sure that this coming competition in November, I'm going to be competing on day one, day two, and I'm teaching a workshop, you know, on the third day that I'm there. So right. training is the last thing that's going to be on my mind while I'm, because yeah. I'm going to get plenty of training in there. And it's going to be, it's going to be grueling just to do those, you know, those GS competitions, as well as doing a six to eight hour workshop, right, you know, right after the, after the training, excuse me, right after the competition. So it's going to take a lot. So during that week leading up to that, you know, I'm really going to scale back on whatever training I'm doing at the time and just really start going in recovery mode ahead of time. So kind of doing a preemptive strike. So therefore right. mentally I'm not beat down. I can just go in, I'm fresh, I'm ready to go. But one of the things I always love to do no matter where I go, whenever I'm traveling, I always take my jump rope with me. I always take right. a jump rope with me. So even if I'm just in my hotel room, I'm skipping rope. I love skipping rope. But another thing I love to do, just like you mentioned a minute ago, is even when I'm in a hotel, I love to run the stairs no matter what. And even when we're at these competitions, I notice like we go to a judges meeting or we go do weigh-ins at these kettlebell competitions. When it's all over, everyone's trying to crowd and get on the elevator, which is so hilarious to me. You have all these fitness people here, and no one wants to take the freaking stairs. So, you know, I take that as an opportunity. I'm like, okay, I'm not going to sit there and wait for this elevator all day. I'm going to go ahead and take the stairs. And I usually end up getting on my floor way before they do. But at the same time, I'm still being active. In, right. the, in my mind, I'm doing something without doing too much. And so I really love utilizing the stairs. I love utilizing the body weight exercises that I have on my DVD and that we've taught at the workshops that you and I have done together. And right. most of those exercises, when I put those together, I had traveling or being in the most not so optimal places in mind when I created those. One of the things I love to do is just sit there and use the hallway of the hotel and just do chimp walks down the hallway or do walking sticks down the hallway because I have more space. And, you know, <laughs> well, we'll, we'll, have to have you do that. <laughs> we'll have to have you do that in Vegas at about 3 in the morning at Houston <laughs> Palace. That, that would be hilarious. <laughs> well, then it becomes, it becomes an obstacle course then because now I'm, I'm doing saber-tooth crawls over bodies and, you know, drunk people and all things like right. that. And who knows what else is going on in Vegas. So that makes it even more fun right there. So that's definitely something that should be recorded and put on as a DVD. <laughs> so I'll keep that in mind. So yeah, man. But as far as the food is concerned, when it comes to eating, I, I do eat animal protein. But at the same time, I'm a researcher, dude. Even if I'm just traveling to Austin, which is two hours away from Houston, right. I always have a list of places to go. I'm always researching. I'm always checking out places. I'm seeing what kind of food they're serving. If I'm going to eat out, I'm, I'm trying to find out where's the nearest Whole Foods, Trader Joe's, whatever. I want to see where the nearest farmer's market is, when is the farmer's market, and right. so I can just hop by and just grab some things there. And, I, and when I'm booking hotels, I'm always trying to make sure that, can I get a refrigerator in my room? Also, I mean, does it have a small kitchen? Does it have a microwave? I want to know if it have all these things. I'm, usually, I'm not a fan of microwaves, but when you're on the road, you do what you have to do, especially if right. there's not a, a small stove in that, in that um, hotel room. So I usually like to get those type of suites that have those kitchens in it. So therefore, I'm, I can actually cook my own food. So therefore, I can go and find a place where they have better quality food, and I can just cook it up myself. Or a lot of times, especially when we get on the road, if we're driving somewhere, we pack everything ourselves. We cook up a bunch of stuff. We'll get snacks and have along the way. Um, I have a dehydrator right here, so I'll make my own jerky. 
So therefore, I'm not being at the mercy of some roadside gas station that has jerky full of MSG and who knows what else. Right. So just different things like that. But yeah, not everyone's going to have access to a dehydrator, things like that. So sometimes you have to do what you have to do. A couple of things that are like one-off, two-off type of situations. It's not like you're going to do it every day. Some, but so if you have to pull up to that roadside gas station, my thing is get some nuts. If you can get some jerky, get some jerky. Other than that, if they have some fruit there, of course, it's probably going to be GMO city. It's not going to probably be organic fruit, but if you can get a banana and apple or something like that, grab that from the gas station. I mean, just do what you have to do. And my thing is definitely, when I'm always traveling, is to always just drink plenty of water. And if I can get some tea, some green tea or something like that, yeah, I'm all for that, man. And most importantly, don't stress so much over it. The more you stress over the stuff, the more just it's just... Like I said, you're just fighting that battle of attrition right there. Right. It's not going to make for a pleasant time. My thing is, it's a vacation or if it's travel, you're coming back home one day. So just do what you can while you're out and just, like I said, do the very best you can. And when you can do better, do better. It's just really that simple. It's, we overthink things sometimes too much or we, we, we get these rigid rules like, well, I, I have to eat organic 100% of the time. It's not, it's not always going to be that way. And God forbid if you can't get access to something that's organic, what are you going to do, starve to death until you can? So you just got to gotta make a decision. You got to make a decision and just realize it's temporary. It's kind of funny. We were watching um, this show on the Food Network, Chopped, and one of the chefs on there that was competing, he was Indian. He's a vegetarian. But, of course, you only chef shows. Somehow meat is going to come into play as far as what they're going to have to use in order to create a dish. And the thing is, you're going to have to taste the food. So... This guy, like, he's a vegetarian. His parents are vegan. He doesn't have no, there's no meat in his diet. But the theme of the day was to take leftovers and create a new meal out of these leftovers. Now, one of the leftovers were barbecue ribs, and they were pork ribs. And I was saying to myself, because I haven't eaten pork since, like, 1988, <laughs> okay? So I'm thinking to myself, like, oh, damn, what would I do in that situation? I was just wondering what this guy was going to do. So what he, the judges even asked him, okay, we saw that you still were able to create this great dish out of this, but how did you go about doing this with the meat? Because we know that you're a vegetarian. He goes, well, I just had to tell myself, first of all, I really want to win this competition. And I told myself, I'm not eating the meal. I'm just tasting the meal. So it was something that's very temporary. And I did what I had to do for right now. It's not like I'm going to consume this entire meal. But I knew I had to taste it actually to see how it was going to turn out. I had to make a provision for that. So here's a guy. This is his lifestyle since birth. So you have people who haven't been this way since birth. They'll probably been doing it for like the last two years, and they're like, oh, my God, I'm 100% paleo. I will not eat those grains. I will not eat those legumes, blah, blah, blah. I just won't eat. Come on. Come on, seriously? (laughs) Either prepare your stuff a little bit better or just butch up and do what you have to do at that moment. I don't know, man. I think people spend more time, too many people spend too much time with unhealthy thoughts about food than actually consuming unhealthy food, if that right. makes any sense. Right. And then that, yeah, right, that's yeah, very exactly. detrimental to their health, you know? No, that's a good point. I mean, also, when, also another thing is when I travel, I mean, the most I'm gone is two weeks. So even if, if things are not optimal for two weeks, that's not the end of the world. It's not right. like I'm going to come home famished. People will go, oh, how do, you, how do you maintain your size and strength on the road? It's like, well, I'm gone for two weeks. <laughs> so it's, I mean, and I eat really clean when I'm at home, and I train really regularly when I'm at home. So yeah. if I'm on the road and things are not optimal, it's not like things are that bad either. I do the best I can, right. but not a whole lot is going to happen in two weeks unless you're drinking every night and eating garbage every day. Exactly. Yeah, sure. Then you're going to come home after two weeks. Went, whoa, what happened? 
Right. But I'm over there making a conscious effort to eat clean, not stressing myself out like what you're talking about. I think that's a good point, too, that, that I think a lot of people are stressed out about stuff. I've been out to meals with people, like different students, where they're looking at the menu going, that sometimes it's a paleo person, sometimes it's a vegan person going, mm-hmm. I just, I, I can't eat anything on here. What am I going to do? What about this? I'm like, look, folks, you, just, because it's not, just because it's not on the menu doesn't mean they can't prepare something for you. I mean, I do that all the time. I go to restaurants where I'm going, look, can you do me a favor? I want this combined with this. Can you take this out? And, of course, they're going to accommodate. Most right. of the time, sometimes they can't because it's something that's already prepared. But most of the time, they can't. You, you make a meal out of a bunch of side dishes. So, so whatever your dietary restrictions are, most of the time, most restaurants are going to be accommodating. It's just going to take a little creativity and work on your part. So it's not the end of the world, though. But it's always funny to watch that when someone looks at the menu. I can't eat anything on this menu. They get all flustered. <laughs> It's like, yes, okay, this may not be the greatest menu in the world, but there's, there's chances are there's combinations that they will make for you that will work. So let's just, exactly. let's just spend less time stressing about it, spend more time being proactive about it, and you'll be better off. I think, I think that brings up a point, too, is that a lot of times events are stressful because you're not doing anything about it. You're just right. thinking about the problem. You're like, God, what the, I'm not getting enough people at the workshop, or this is not selling, or this program's not working, and you're just thinking about that. But what are you actually doing about that? Why don't you actually do something? Like, how are you going to get more people in the room? How are you going to get progress going with your training regimen? How are you going to improve this? Because when you're actually trying to improve something, it's not as stressful anymore. It's more exhilarating. You're taking charge of the problem. It's, it's when you're sitting there wallowing it that it's stressful. Yeah, and I think when it comes down, just ask yourself a simple question. When that situation is not working out the way you thought, let's just say for a workshop and there are no bodies in the room, you ask yourself that important question. Did I do everything I could to put bodies in this room? And if you can honestly say that you did, then guess what? It's now officially out of your hands. It was really left up to the people. And then you ask yourself, like, okay, am I doing something that commands more bodies in the room? Or is it time for me to reevaluate what I'm doing here, change it up or scrap it and move on and start doing something else? Right, so right. it's not a failure. It's just a time to evaluate. Like, hmm. And guess what? On the flip side of that, even if you – put together an event or a class or something like that and you fill up the room don't rest on your laurels right there just because oh yeah killed it packed the room i got (laughs) 50 people in here and i only said i was going to let 30 in and i'm good with that no i'm asking myself what was it that i did this time or the person i worked with what did we do to put these extra 20 30 bodies in here and how can we recreate this another time or what can we learn from this to actually help us at another event to, to actually do the same thing, not necessarily get the same amount of people in there, but what was it that got these people and their interest to want to attend this event? So I'm not going to just sit there and celebrate. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be happy more bodies showed up. But I'm also going to be thinking like, okay, that was cool, because that's usually what happens. The process is what you truly enjoy. Once it happens, it's very anticlimactic, man. It's just like, oh, okay, yeah. it's packed. Because, again, you've, you've achieved that goal. So it's always... On to the next thing. It's like Thomas Edison, Thomas Edison 101. This is one of my favorite quotes of all time. I've, this has been my favorite quote since I was like in second grade. Show me a satisfied man and I'll show you a failure. So somebody says like, when they hear that, I've had people like, well, it just sounds like nothing. You're never going to be happy with anything. I'm like, no, it's not saying that I'm not going to be happy when I have certain successes in my life and these, these great moments and these good moments and these achievements. What it's saying is I'm not going to stop right there because when I stop right there, I stop evolving. So guess right. what? Even my body itself lives by that theory. Either I'm 
either my body's going to start degenerating and my muscles are going to atrophy or I'm going to continue to keep going through resistance, looking for different ways to challenge myself to become bigger and stronger, not just physically, but mentally, emotionally, and, and spiritually, and things like that. So that right there is me not being satisfied because I need to continue to evolve as a human until it's time for me to check out of this body. And that's when I can be satisfied, like, oh, I'm done with this body. It's a wrap. And guess what? That's really not my choice at that point. <laughs> so it's involuntary. Right. I think, I think it's kind of a balancing act because with some people they're always so focused on what they're trying to achieve that they're miserable in the moment oh yeah going, when i get that six pack then i'll be happy when i bench press 400 pounds then i'll be happy when i finally squat 500 then i'll be happy and it, i think it's great to have all those goals that are always on your mind and consuming you but at the same time you have to live right now and oh, yeah. if you don't if you don't live right now and enjoy what's going on then when you achieve those goals, they're going to be super anticlimactic. Oh, God. But if you're, if, you're, if you're enjoying now, and then you have these goals that you're really pushing for, right. it's not going to be as anticlimactic because you're not going to look back and go, okay, uh, I, don't know, uh, I, was, I was miserable all that time, and I thought this would make a difference, and it didn't really make that much of a difference. Exactly. It's like, no, it's like you're, you're, you're happy, enjoying your life. You have these goals you're really actively pursuing. And then when you hit them, it's, it's something to celebrate. It enhances your life a little bit more. I mean, I think that's the best way to look at it is to not always think that happiness is something that's down the road for you. It's not something oh, yeah, that's exactly. achievable right now. And I think what you said is also, I, I like what you said also about being basically happily discontented. It's that you're discontented, so you're, you're striving for more, but you're still enjoying the moment. You're still happy. And, and, that, and that's something that took me a long time to learn because what yeah, I just described is, is a person I've been before. Mm-hmm. And that's who I was when I first really got into physical training. I used to think about all these milestones and, and how much happier I would be once I hit those. And right. then same thing with business. When I got in, and not just this business, but any business that I've done in the past where you're thinking, okay, when I start making this much, it's going to be awesome. And, and then no doubt it is. You know, when you're, when you're struggling in a business and you start making good money, believe me, it, it, it's a nice, it's like a big relief. You can take this breath of fresh air and all that. But I, if you don't enjoy that process, as you said, then it's really anticlimactic as well. So I think, I think that's really – it's a very important message. And it, it sounds very new-agey when people hear it. It's like, oh, don't worry about the goal. Just enjoy the process. It's like, fuck you, man. <laughs> you know, but, but, but it's so true, man. I mean, it's, it's, it's the outcome is going to be so much better, too. You know, that's the other thing. Because right. when you're focused on excellence in the process, you're going to do a much better job than when you're thinking, oh, I can't wait, I can't wait for this, I can't wait for this, I can't wait for this, so that you're never focused on the present. You're always thinking about something that may or may not happen down the road. Exactly. You're not going to have the best focus. Like imagine if Ali got up there and do a comedy show, and he's in the middle of telling a joke, and he's thinking in his head, oh, I can't wait to finish this gig so I can go back to the room and go to sleep, or I can't wait to get out, finish this gig so I can go do this. He's not going to do a very good job if he's thinking that way. Right. But you know, any good comedian, any good performer, they're killing it. Like we've we've all seen shows like a, like like Shine Down and Papa Roach. He saw them recently this past weekend. Awesome. You can tell these guys love what they're doing, fully immersed in the moment. Right. Uh, a couple of months ago, I saw another band, Buck Cherry, and Buck Cherry. They, they did everything right. Right. I mean, they they played the music the way it sounds on the album, and everything seemed right. But if you looked at the lead singer's face, and it was a small venue, so you could see what he looked like. He, right. he just did not look like he was happy at all to be up on stage. Right. He, and I don't know if it was an off night or, you know, who knows what the reasons are. But, but it, showed, it, it, it showed through clearly to me where you could tell that he's just not having as good a time as maybe he used to in the past or maybe it was an off night. 
And that affected the audience as well because people yeah. can pick up on that kind of stuff. Yeah, so actually, yeah, I had that same experience uh, a couple years ago. It was Godsmack, uh, I believe Rob Zombie, Disturbed. Right. The lineup for me was a dream come true. I, yeah. was very, I was excited. I'm like, dude, I am going to have a good time. In fact, I'm going to actually show up for this venue. It's usually when they, have venue, when they have a show like that in Houston, it's usually in a place that's called the Woodlands, uh, the Cynthia Mitchell Woodlands Pavilion, which is outside. And most of these shows happen in the summer, which in Houston, which you can tell, <laughs> just thinking about that, yeah. if you're not going to have, if you're not excited about the bands being there, you're going to have a very miserable experience in Houston, right. Texas, in July, August, and September when you're outside. And so I was very excited about this show. I try to avoid any shows at the Woodlands like the plague. <laughs> but when this show was coming, I was like, there's no way I'm going to miss this because all of these artists put on great shows. So now Rob Zombie killed it. And it was my first time seeing him. I've been wanting to see this guy probably for a good 20 years. So he did not disappoint. He did not miss a step. Godsmack always gives a good show. I've seen those guys yeah, at least yeah. seven times. Yeah, and, and, and I'll see them again, damn it. <laughs> I'll never get tired. In fact, I pretty much know what their show, I pretty much know how the show is going to be, but I still thoroughly enjoy it because Sully, this, these guys put so much energy into their shows, they don't take it for granted. Right. But what disturbed me was actually disturbed, and it kind of pissed me off. <laughs> yeah. so, so I mean, you. <laughs> oh my gosh, it's like the lead singer just—it just seemed like he didn't—he could have been anywhere in the world, but Houston that day, or any right. on that stage. He—it just seemed like he was going through the motions, and it was just very anticlimactic for me from all of the music. I, I have their entire catalog, so yeah. I'm thinking like, yeah, this is gonna be this is gonna be awesome. They're they're the headliners. It's gonna finish off on a good note, and I was so disappointed. And I was pissed. Now, a guy who I think seems like no matter what he's doing, whether he's doing his own show or whether he's just doing just one song at the U.S. Open, this guy puts all his energy into it. It's Lenny Kravitz. This guy thoroughly enjoys being a musician. He loves to play. And I just saw a video he uploaded, um, I think it was like last week or the week before, because, you know, he lives in the Bahamas, but he also has a home in New Orleans. So he's sitting on his porch in New Orleans. And he hears, like, I believe it's the Boys Choir of New Orleans. They were over in Jackson Square, and they were singing Fly Away. And he can hear because he, he lives in the French Quarter. So he hears this. He's like, oh, wow. So he tells his buddy, you know, turn the camera on. Let's walk over there. So these kids are just singing Fly Away, and I'm putting their all into it, putting their own little spin. And these young kids, they got, they're out there. They have their instruments, have the guitars. And lo and behold, Lenny just walks up on them. Of course, these kids are shocked, and, you know, they're like, wow, it's Lenny Kravitz. But at the same time, they didn't miss a step with the song. They stayed focused. And, you know, Lenny didn't come there to try to show them up or anything like that. He actually came there like a fan because he was thoroughly enjoying seeing these kids really putting their all into music and being creative and playing these instruments and, and feeling honored that they're actually singing his song. And so, you know, one of the kids, kind of, they wanted him to sing, but at first Lenny was kind of like, nah, I'm enjoying you guys. So what he did, he ended up sitting down and just um, the drummer stood up and let Lenny start playing the drums. So Lenny was just pretty much still trying to put the focus on the kid that was singing the vocals and playing the guitar. And don't worry so much about me. And so, but of course they kept pushing for him just to sing. So he just sang a few things, and then he turned it back over to them. But he thoroughly enjoyed that moment. You can see it on his face he was enjoying playing with those kids on that song. And he was very excited. He did it, and he was done. He went back to letting them have the show and not having, you know, not taking the limelight away from them. But anyway, when it comes to music, this guy thoroughly enjoys it. He loves being a musician. He loves what music can do for so many people. And you hear that in his lyrics. You see it in his performance. I've never, 
I mean, you can go on YouTube and find so many shows. I've never seen this guy looking like, fuck, I don't want to do this tonight. Everything just seems right. like he's, it's like his switch is on every time. As soon as you just crank the first chord, he's like, boom, showtime. Let me give everybody my all, which reminds you, you know, same way Michael Jackson was when he was alive. This guy put everything into his shows. I don't think Michael ever had an off night. Even if his albums were not the best in those later years, you didn't care because he gave so much energy when he performed. Prince, another one. So another example of that. So it's something to be said, man, when you just thoroughly enjoy what you do and just really have that switch go off. And you just kind of like, you're not worrying so much about, oh, I just want to get through this oh, one more night. Because guess what, people? We can, we can see that. We can feel that, too. And we'll right. end up agreeing with you. We can't wait for you to hurry up and <laughs> <get> off. <laughs> I'm starting to look at the back of that ticket like, damn, it says no refunds. Ain't that a bitch? <laughs> so, yeah. That's no, true. And sometimes it's, it's not even that uh, you don't like what you do. It's just that you need a break. Maybe you're burned out. Exactly. You're getting towards the edge of the tour, and it's like, look, you guys have been on the road for 18 months. Take a break. And it could be applied to our context as well. Uh, as well, Maybe you do a lot of workshops and they're not as fun as they used to be. So it doesn't mean that you, you should never teach a workshop again. It just may, may, may mean that you just need to take a break for a while. You know, get refreshed. Come up with some new material. Give it a break for a while. Let that enthusiasm come back. I mean, I did that back in 2009. I, I decided to take a break from workshops and focus on other things. I just did that Age of Coral event that year. Yeah. And then when I started teaching again in 2010, it was awesome. I, mean, I felt really refreshed, ready to go, couldn't wait to get back out there and just start banging out some courses. And now I'm kind of at that phase again. You know, I'm not, I don't hate teaching workshops. I like teaching courses. But I just feel like I'm ready to have a break and focus on other things because I don't want to keep going until I don't like it. See, that's the key right now. Yeah. I, I still like it right now, but I, I want a break is what, was the way my head is thinking. I need a break, and I want to focus on other things. Yeah, now, I've been if, there. If, if I decide if I decide not to go with that and say, you know what, just keep doing it anyway, because it's another four source of income for you, then it's going to start. Then it's going to start showing. It'll just be a matter of time where people are going, huh? He seemed kind of irritated when he asked that when he answered that question. <laughs> and, uh, he, he he ended the course an hour early. That's when you start. That's when people start realizing, okay, this is not quite. It, and, I, and I don't want anyone to experience that because right. these things are not cheap to come to, and it, it's time out of your day, it's time out of your life. There's there's things you have to prepare and sacrifice for. Right. So it's, I, I just think you have to have that honest dialogue with yourself, though, is that sometimes something you used to do you really enjoy, and now it's not as fun as it used to be. Well, what do you do in that situation? Exactly. Take a break from it. Figure out why. Figure out some other things to do. Maybe you'll want to come back to it at some point. But don't just keep going down that path where it starts becoming work that you really dislike. And yeah, because people deserve awesome. better than that, man. The yeah. people that are buying into you, they deserve so much more than that. So you got to take yourself out of the equation. This is not just you that's being affected. You're affecting other people. I mean, they're, they're spending right. their good money. They're, they're taking time out of their life to come and learn from you. So this is the thing. What do you want them to walk away with when they learn from you, to learn that, oh, man, that was a great course. I learned some great exercise. I learned some great programming. I learned some, some better tips or I learned some better techniques. Or you want them to learn, like, Damn, that dude's an asshole. <laughs> so you got to just really think about what, learn, what lesson do you want folks to walk away with right there ahead of time. And a lot of times, just like you said, it's not so much that you don't want to do it anymore. Sometimes you just really have other things, new things that are popping up that are really, right. really have you energized because they're so new. And 
like we're we're both going through that right now. You have that right. with your supplement company. I have that with this podcast to the point yeah. where you know my wife just you know she's like I I can tell you really love this. And guess what? This is only this is an extension of me taking a big break from any form of broadcasting because it got to the point where I got sick of radio. There was a, it got to a point where I got sick of DJ. It got to a point where I got sick of the music industry. I got sick of just even seeing a microphone. And I just pretty much felt like, well, I'm done with that part of my life. I really don't see. And for a while, I even started another podcast in the early part of my fitness career, um, even when it was on Blog Talk Radio, when it first went live, when they first started doing Blog Talk Radio. Not many people really hip to it at that time. You can go look up some of my old shows on there. So I had a little moment where, you know, I had that energy again. Because I was talking to interesting people. I had you on the show a few times right, yeah, you know, right. at the time. So it was fun again. And just having that conversation kind of just opened the doors for where you and I are right now with this show. Where right. I, This show is actually take, it's a little different than what I did with Blog Talk Radio. Because Blog Talk Radio was a little bit of me leaving that radio world and still kind of having that formal type interview. But at the same time, still kind of having a little bit of a casual conversation. Not being, I didn't want the show to be just stiff and this, that, and the other. But I remember I would have at least some questions that I wanted to make sure I had to ask before the show was over. Whereas now, it's just I let the conversation flow. And we just go wherever the conversation goes on this show. This is truly like, you can call this like a fireside chat right here if you want to go, go, go with it that way, where we're just right. talking. And, yeah, of course, we may start off with a central theme to get things going or whatever, and sometimes we may not. And we'll right. just go from there. But somehow we can still make it interesting fun, still someone can get some type of lesson out of it without us being preachy about it. And it's just like I said, it's just like somebody just walked into our house while we were talking or I, I always wanted this show to be like if we were at a party and talking, someone right. can just walk by like, oh, what are these guys talking about? Right, oh, right. And, and just jump into the conversation and we'll invite them to the conversation like, hey, man, so what do you think? Oh, okay. And that's why we always ask you guys to give us your feedback. And I see that I saw some of the reviews today uh, when I went over to iTunes, and I wanted to bring up some of those reviews. Really, really cool, because uh, I actually want to start like giving shout-outs to folks who you know, post their reviews on iTunes. Um, I think you were just on a show. I think it was a Walking Along podcast, right? Yeah, right, right. Yeah, I saw, like, um, saw one of the guys, or the lady. I hope this is a lady. Is this a lady? Mina? Oh, Walking Alone is two guys. Two guys? Okay. I don't, I don't know if that's just a... A pseudonym, email, yeah, okay. or, well, yeah, it's just like a, a different ID. If you are a guy, do not be offended. If you are a lady, do not be offended. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's the anonymous world of the Internet. So, so, But, yeah, so basically they gave a shout out saying that, you know, the two of us are not only extremely knowledgeable about kettlebells, fitness, diet, but we're entertaining to listen to. And not to mention, we're not being preachy or just patting ourselves on the shoulders the whole time. So they said they become a bigger fan, you know, after you came onto this show, Mike. And as a guest on their podcast, so they say thanks to both of us. So it's just really good when you when you see and read reviews like that. And just like you said, when you went to your workshop, folks were asking questions and you know giving props to the podcast, and they're kind of really it's really taking a life of its own. I, that just makes it makes me feel good. It makes me feel like we're doing, we're doing we're on to something here, and we're doing something pretty cool here, and we're not wasting everyone's time. And it's really good when you look at these reviews, and there are people like yeah, I. I listen for the one hour commute i'm going this way and then the hour i'm coming back so it's just really good man i just i just know it's just, just gonna get better and i know it is because again we're hungry 
and we got this renewed energy, and I'm always just thinking of ways to make this show better. I'm looking at these reviews. Somebody brought up something about the, about the show notes, and trust me, I'm going to, I had that in my head about helping with the show notes because there are some people that actually want to get all the links and the resources that we talk about, so I'm working on that as well as far as, like, putting all those in the show notes as well because I know between you and, and myself and our guests, we drop a lot of resources during a one- or two-hour show. So... So I'm definitely going to start working on that. First thing I'm going to do is just really change up the, the blog itself so we can have our own standalone blog, not the one necessarily on the server that the podcast is recorded on. So it can just be a little bit more user-friendly. So, and I don't mind sharing this information because I feel like our audience is a big part of our family. So it's not like we have these secrets. We don't want anybody to know what we're doing. And, you know, I want to say this because then they'll try to take, take it away and try to do something better than us. You know what? So what? If you do, great for you. You know, like, right. again, there's, there's enough out there for everyone. And if you have something interesting, I, I encourage you to start a podcast. Go for it. If there's not enough quality entertainment out there anyway. So if you can be entertaining and educational and at the same time, awesome, because there's a lot of stupid mess out there claiming right. to be entertainment on television and commercial radio and all that. So And even talk radio pretty much sucks ass these days because everybody's just talking about the political agendas. It's either right, left. But it's all in the center of bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's so true. So I think that's what people want from a podcast is just an authentic conversation. Yeah. Something like what you said, what, what your analogy of good conversation at a party, that's a very good way to put it. And, I, and many people, a couple of people at the workshop even said that. They said they feel like they're, they're in the living room with, yeah. with us and our guests, just being part of the whole conversation. So that's pretty cool. So keep your feedback coming, folks. We'd, we'd love to get those reviews up to 100. I think that's yes. the goal we have right now is get 100 reviews. And we're going to keep banging out great guests to keep oh, getting speaking of which. Yeah, next speaking week, of which. Man. Next week, we got a, one that we're both really excited about as, oh, as yeah. big MMA fans. We have Bruce Buffer coming on. And I actually finished reading Bruce's book last week, and I really liked it. I'm going to go through it again just to get some of the questions I had, I had for him solidified. But that's going to be a really good show. We have him on next week. And we also have the author of The Talent Code coming on next month. Daniel Cole is another really interesting book. So what's cool about this podcast is it, it gives us a medium to contact interesting people and have good conversations with them. So that's one yeah. thing we're going to keep trying to do. And uh, what do you have coming up, man? Do you have anything, anything new you're working on? Any, any yeah, I'm in training mode now um, for yeah. the IKFF uh, kettlebell competition world coming up in November. So just starting my training with that. So it's kind of <laughs> – when you spent the summer pretty much doing mostly deadlifts and, and a lot of Olympic lifting, you know, it's just funny coming back to training for GS competitions. Right. So I had a rude awakening yesterday when I stepped back on and started going back to long cycle, which is an event I had, that I moved away from just because of an injury uh, about a couple of years ago. And it, actually the injury happened with my knee right around the time it happened with Ken, our friend Ken Blackburn's knee, who's also right. my coach, my training coach. And we both just like – kind of stepped away from long cycle which for me long cycle is a very it's when it comes to my body type you know just looking at the torso at my torso you would think that okay long cycle is great for him but when you add in the my my wingspan it makes it really really suck because I need to add some height to these arms in order to make long cycle not suck so much otherwise (laughs) like this dude this little dude at the bottom waiting for this long drop (laughs) of 106 pounds just just a plop down on my chest. So I ended up finding that what really worked for me, especially for my body type, was 
the snatch only event. I love it. Whereas, you know, I've moved up now to doing the 28 kilograms because just the transition before I hop over to the 32 and the snatch only event and just do my baseline training. Ken told me to do three minutes of long cycle, three minutes of um, snatch only just to see where the baseline is before he starts putting the program together. Okay, let me tell you, dude, when I picked up those 24s to do long cycle, especially because I just haven't done it, it just felt like death trying to do like a, a five-minute pace in, in three minutes of time. So to sit there and try to really double up and try to do anywhere between 12, 15 reps in a minute, nope, it sucked. It didn't feel good. <laughs> I was like, whoa. And it's crazy because I'm, I'm so competitive. I'm like, I can't believe this. I can't believe I, this, that just happened. I mean, this, this is the event that got me here. And then, I, then once I gave myself a break, I picked up the 28 to start doing my snatch-only event, which I haven't trained with the 28 to do snatch-only. That was my first time doing it. Killed it. You know, killed it because basically a minute and a half did about 25 reps because I was actually pacing myself with that one. And then 28 reps on the other hand. So, so in three minutes, 53 reps with 28, never done it. I was like, okay, that felt great. Didn't feel anything. Didn't feel like my body was dying or anything like that. So it was awesome. So I was just came to realization. I said, look, long cycles were brought me into this sport four years ago. So long cycles to me is like my first marriage. I don't regret us ever being together, but at this point in our life, we're done. We just have to, <laughs> we're friends and that's about it, but we can never backtrack and be together again. It's just not going to work. <laughs> and I look at snatch only more like my current marriage, like this works for me. <laughs> this, is, this is awesome. And we're good friends. I like this. And I'm going to, let me just be honest with myself. This is what I've been looking for. This is more of what this, this is in tune with all the things I don't have to worry about all the things I don't want. Long cycle reminds me of all the things I don't want <laughs> as far as the way I feel, especially recovery and things like that. It just, it just sucks for me with recovery, with long cycle. And I just really, I don't want to give up size at this point either. I like the muscle that I built in these last, like during the summer. I don't want to give that up. My body fat did not go up, even though I went up pretty much since May. It's right around the time when I started, when you sent me the first bottle of testosterone booster. Right. In that time, in these last four months, I've gone, up and I've gone up 20 pounds. But my body fat has not gone up. So I'm not trying to give that muscle up. It feels good. I don't feel winded. It's just I don't want to give up my size. And usually when I train for long cycle, I start giving up size. I start really losing muscle. I start really feeling just the recovery Recovery sucks in between those sessions, man. It's just it's even hard to train every other day with long cycle for me. Whereas snatch, when I'm training snatch, I can do it every day, some form or fashion, whether I'm doing glove snatches one day only, or I'm doing with a lighter bell just for work on speed and sprinting, and or when I'm just doing my actual sets, my training sets for the competition where I'm doing three minute sets. Well, let's just say with the with the 24, I'm doing 20 reps a minute or something like that, or I'm doing the 28, I'm doing 15 reps a minute with the 28, or something like that. I can, I can do something every day with snatch and never feel beat up. Where long cycle, I feel like I just took on, I just got into a gang war, and I, I was the only dude <laughs> against like 20. <laughs> so, yeah, so that's where I am right now, man. I'm just training for that. Everything else, I'm just kind of, you know, laying low and just like getting my mindset for that and not trying to take on too much because, you start taking on too many, too many other outside activities, it really starts to affect your training performance as well. So it's right. kind of hard to sit there and focus on your goals for training and what you're going to do with a competition when you're thinking about, well, I want to get this business started. I want to do this. And I want to do that. So you have to kind of sacrifice. I mean, there's, there's no 
half-assing with anything. You're either all in or you're not with things, man, when it's that important to you. Oh, stressful. Yeah, Yeah, man. What about yourself? Yeah, I got a few more workshops coming up just to round off this year. I'm going to head out to the U.K. next month and Ireland, and then that's it. That's it for this year. That's it for next year as well. Give it a break, as we've said probably in the last 10 episodes. (laughs) And also, folks, Keep using the coupon code LLA to get 10% off my recovery oil, my testosterone booster, and my new supplement, my systemic enzyme product. It was actually supposed to be out this week, but there was a little hiccup on the manufacturing side, so that kind of slowed things down, where it's back on track now, so next week it should be completely done, and then it will be shipped out to my fulfillment company. So I'm thinking first week of October now. And there will be a special code that I give out to podcast listeners and my newsletter. It won't be LLA. It'll be a different code for just that product. You'll get a nice discount on that. So more information about that, more information about the product when it's ready to buy. I've had a few people email me and ask if they can pre-order it, and I always decline those because pre-orders are a big pain in the ass. What happens is they pay me now, and then the product may not be out for another two or three weeks. So then I start getting these emails going, oh, when's it going to be available? Has it shipped yet? What's my tracking number? Yeah. I don't want to deal with that crap. So my attitude is, <laughs> fuck pre-orders. When the, product, <laughs> when the product is in stock, that's when you can buy it, okay? Because that means it's going to be shipping out the next day to you. So that's when you buy it. You don't need to do this pre-order stuff where sitting on your thumb for a month wondering when it's going to come. Right. <laughs> and, and that's about it. So I'm gonna oh, wrap one up. One last thing, man. We got a big UFC this weekend, bro. Oh yeah, we do have a big UFC. This yeah, one, this one. Talk about easy. Bruce Buffer. Let's talk about that. We got. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is the light heavyweight champion. Wise, huh? I wonder what's gonna happen. John Jones versus Gustafsson. <laughs> I would say John Jones is an eight to one favorite for good reason. He's gonna destroy. Yeah. He's gonna win. Okay, I don't, I don't even think that's gonna be much of a challenge for him, honestly. I, I hope I'm wrong. I hope it is a challenge. But yeah, I, I hope, I, it's, good. I hope I, it's at least a good fight. I don't want. I don't see it. I just don't see. I, I, just I don't know. See. I'm hoping, man. And I'm just hoping. Yeah, I don't see Gustafsson having any any edge in any area. So unless some fluke happens or he gets lucky, I mean, anything can happen there. Unless he breaks his toe and they actually catch it this time before <laughs> before the I, I don't see anyone that's a big threat for John Jones anytime soon. I think Teixeira is a better matchup than Gustafsson. So that might be interesting. Uh, Daniel Cormier may be interesting. I'd like uh... to see I'd like to see Cormier fight someone else, though. I'd like yeah, to I don't... get a title shot right away. Let's see him fight maybe Glover or someone like that. So, you know, let's see how he does there. Because yeah. otherwise, I'm not really that excited about that potential matchup. So, well, anyway, we'll see what happens with that. Some of the other fights in the card, I think, if oh, I were to Morrell and um, Eddie Wineland, I actually, I actually kind of, I don't know, I'm kind of going with Wineland on this one, man. I, yeah, me too. I, I actually then, think he has a shot now. Yeah, if you ever got to bet on one, that that one should be a lot closer than it is. If I'm yeah. gonna, there's two fights I'm probably going to bet on. I'm, I'm obviously not going to touch the John Jones fight because I don't need to bet $800 for the opportunity to win 100 Yeah. If, if some fluke does happen, you're going to feel real dumb about that. So that's way too big of a spread where it's like, forget it. And then that oh. one, you just mentioned, is a good one. Mitrion versus Shab. Yeah, that one I is such... That's, they're both such a hot mess, and they're so hot and cold. Right, right. And, and, and plus, Mitrion's been, you know, he got suspended for a while back for some comments that he made. So he's right. kind of, you know, he, he had all this time in between his last fight. So, and um, I think when he was scheduled to fight last time, I don't know if he got injured or whatever, but they're so off and on, man, and especially Schaub. So I just, Schaub is one of those guys, I don't know which Schaub will show up. Right. So, you know, he might come in, but with Mitrion... One thing about me, actually, I'm going to go with Mitrion on this one because 
he is just like he's like baby Huey to me. He's like <laughs> he just seems like this dude it just seems so it just seems like he just no matter how many times you hit him in the head, he won't stop coming. And I don't think he, he how many times you club him in the head, I don't think he realized that it's supposed to hurt. <laughs> so I don't know. I'm gonna go with Mitrion on that one. At first I just really couldn't pick anyone. So it just it just really depends on what his conditioning is like with this time off. But even then, I still think that he's so special mentally that he can still yeah. pull off a win. <laughs> so. Yeah, Mitrion is the slight favorite for that fight, and I, I, I'm not too well with go with as well, if I were going to bet on that fight for sure. And then you and, got uh, Costa Filippo and uh, Francis Carmont. That's, that's, I think that's a pretty good matchup right there. It could be some really good striking right there, some good Muay Thai going on, and that one to me I think is kind of close. And I don't know, I think I actually might go with Carmont on this one. Right. That one I'm not even that familiar with, so I'd actually have to go back and, and research both fighters to see what I think, but I'm not that familiar with it. The ones that I looked at for potential betting strategies were Mitrion, and that was the one I was like, yeah, Wineland. That, that, that one is definitely worth betting off because he's such an underdog, and I, I, don't, I don't think he should be that much right. of an underdog. So that's the kind of stuff I look for when I bet on stuff. I go, why is this guy such a big underdog? I think it's a lot closer than that. Yeah, that I guess because they feel like us Burrell has the you know the interim belt, and I'm just like, nah, right. it's not like he has the belt, <laughs> okay? Right, 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 exactly. So and, yeah, it'll be, be yeah, it'll be, it's gonna be cool, man. I'm definitely gonna watch it. I'm definitely curious to see what happens. So yeah, man. So that's pretty much what's going on this week, and um, good show, man. Really glad that Ali had a chance to stop by. Yeah, great guest, great guest. We didn't really get to get into other stories that came from our college days, but um, I'm sure we'll have him back on the show again. Yeah, so, absolutely. All types of stories that we can share right there, buddy. But, yeah, man, so good week, man. Glad you had fun in NYC. And, yeah. Yeah, good it was a good time. Cool. We'll, so that, we'll see that everyone next week. week. Yeah, that yeah. wraps up this week. We'll see everyone next week. Again, Bruce Popper is going to be on, so we're all really excited about that. So, yeah, definitely tune in for that one, folks. And other than that, keep your reviews coming, keep your comments coming, your questions coming. Hit us on the fan page, hit us on Twitter, under our either one of our respective names, LLA Podcast on Facebook. All that. You can find us, trust us. So everybody have a great weekend. We'll talk to you next week. Take care. Have a good one.